0: The importance of data teams is undeniable. Most companies today use data to drive decision-making on anything, from software feature development to product strategy, hiring, and marketing. In some companies, data is the product, which can make data teams even more vital. But there's a common problem. Analyzing data is hard and time-consuming. Lots of people have questions they want to answer with data, but data teams often don't have the resources to move quickly. This can create a pernicious effect where organizations stop asking questions about their own data. Amanda Kelly thinks a lot about data and the dynamics of data teams inside organizations. She's worked at Google X and on self-driving cars and cybersecurity. Her experiences on data teams inspired her to co-found Streamlit, which is an open-source Python library that gives primitives to assemble a data app for rapid data visualization and interaction. Her goal was to accelerate the iteration loop to go from a question to a data-driven answer. Amanda is currently the COO of Streamlit and a product director at Snowflake, and she joins us today to talk about data and how she's building Streamlit. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Sean Falconer. Check the show notes for more information on Sean's work and where to find him.
1: All right, Amanda, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for being here. I've been really looking forward to our conversation. i am recently become a little bit of a Streamlit user. I can't say that I'm a expert by any means, and that's why you're here, but maybe we could start by having you introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And how did you get to where you are today?
2: Oh, okay. Well, it's a, it's a bigger intro than I was planning, but hi, I'm Amanda Kelly, co-founder of Streamlit. I'm also director of product over at Snowflake a citizen of Northern California. um enjoying the weather and doing things here. I have a dog, I have kids. Those are the things I do in my spare time. So how did I get here and kind of where are we today? Well, you know, I, I never really made kind of an explicit choice that was like, you know what, I'm going to focus my career on data and on, on AI and, and on applications. It just kind of naturally evolved where I think by going after more and more kind of interesting problems and, and meeting interesting people, you know, doing new things and just wanting to help there. And so my journey really to Streamlit and where we are with Snowflake today started after grad school when I went to Google X. And Google X at the time was just kind of a lot of random people who were thinking of a lot of ideas for the future. And I happened to meet who would eventually become my co founders, Adrian and Tiago. And through that, I ended up working on assistant, next-generation assistant technology, self-driving cars, cybersecurity. And and over the next few years, worked with them and then others and really kept seeing the same problems kind of over and over again, right? That we really were not empowering data teams, ML teams, people who were working kind of at the forefront of what you could do with data to do the work that they needed to do and to have the impact kind of in the broader company. And so it was really kind of out of those frustrations that I ended up where I am today. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like there's probably been...
1: like. Thousands of startups that have come out of people working at organizations like Google or, you know, AWS, any sort of large company where they have some, they're counting some sort of pain in what they're doing, especially at the scale that you might be doing at one of those organizations. And they kind of like realize, oh, like I need to figure out how to solve this. And that yeah. essentially leads them to founding a company and hopefully going on and you know being successful.
2: Yes, there are many of us there. Are, we are legion, The people working with data and then the problems that we solve. So yeah, it's it's also it's very exciting, I think, to solve a problem that you have yourself, right? So that's just its own kind of sense of satisfaction. But I think one of the most amazing things kind of in my journey over the past few years is just finding out how many other people, right, there are that, that kind of do the same things every day and have the same problems and, and getting to be a part of changing some of their lives and, and having them change mine as well.
1: So there's this, I think, like, concept around a data application or or this, you know, term that we kind of throw out there. So in your experience or how you think about it, what is a data application and then how is that sort of different than other types of applications that, you know, other types that, you know, engineers might be working on?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's different in two ways. One of which is the fact that it's the the purpose, right, that it's coming kind of from data and for data. And the second is around the people, the people that are creating it and the people that are consuming it. So when I think about a data application, really its purpose is to do something with data. Right So it might be a tool that's working to transform some data to write some data back, or it might be more about kind of consuming an insight or an exploration right and driving deeper understanding, getting to a decision, right for the business that can be made right on top of that data. So that I think you know it's a smaller scope than all of right, the web applications of the world, but it's really focused on data, and therefore it has some different properties right in terms of how you connect, right what you need to do with the data, right the, the types of things that you want to build on top of it. But the other really key distinction is about who's using this, right? And and the first is that these are applications built by data teams themselves, right? So it needs to work in the workflow of what a data team is doing and the types of skill sets that they have, and also kind of who it's for, right? So a lot of times it's for themselves, right? We see a huge amount of data teams just building things for themselves to unlock the work that they are doing, but also... Who is going to be consuming them? Right. So a lot of times you have data teams, you have IT teams, you have a number of these groups that are working with data and their purpose really is to empower the rest of the organization. And so the needs of the marketing, the sales, the finance, the product teams that are consuming this are also really important in terms of what makes a good data application.
1: Yeah, and I would think that, you know, this isn't true necessarily of every data application and every sort of, I don't know, product application or whatever you want to kind of call like a, maybe a more traditional application that we might be thinking about. But the sort of scale of the end users is different, where the data application is probably going to be a smaller scale of end users, but then the amount of data that you might be actually processing it to power that data application, that's kind of where the scale might come into play.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it goes, the entire range. Right? you know in a sense an application right is just this is something that would be better not run in a terminal right not screenshot it out and put in a powerpoint right but it's better to be run kind of with the UI on top of it it's better for it to be interactive and that could be for a number of reasons one could be that it's just going to be better to do this with kind of a drop down at a button because if we if we do it by writing the code right into the worksheet or, or the terminal it's it's going to increase our error rates right so it's going to make it a less joyful experience, right, for everybody who's running these processes. But a lot of times, right, it's also just about, like, we need to see these things in a visual manner, right? Printing out the data, right, and and just kind of a table is not enough, right, to really kind of convey, hey, it's this area of Philadelphia that's really surging, right, in ride shares. Those are things that, that are really visual and are much better done kind of in an application. And that can often be really serving, you know, one or two people. Right. There are applications that we have internally which are almost entirely made for me right in terms of specific decisions I need to make right as a product leader. And then we also see things that are scaling out right to the entire company right and have you know have some of those you know basic needs that you have for a web application in terms of you know concurrency and, and load and things like that and absolutely the amount of data being processed is a huge part of that. and I think that that's part of the broader when you think about serving a data application need well, right given that it's the data teams building this, Those of us right that are helping this need to not just be building out like here's a nice chart for that, but also solving those needs, right? So that the people who are building them don't have to consider, right, what does it mean if a thousand people come and you know try to alter this chart at the same time? So you've talked a little bit about like the idea of empowering data teams and
1: also some of the limitations that you might have if you're just sort of generating a static chart. But what are some of the you know major challenges essentially that data teams run into when They're essentially trying to access or make decisions about what's going on within an organization.
2: Yeah. So there are the basic problems kind of of data itself, right? You know, your data is in silos. It's in different formats. It's really costly to to do this type of thing, right? We, the engineering team didn't implement the telemetry properly. So we don't actually have, you know, what we need. And now there's a long process to do that. But even kind of beyond that, I, I really think that data teams in general are undervalued, right, in organizations. People don't understand the work and how hard it is, right? You know, when you're like, all I need is a basic chart, right, that tells me, you know, who did X, like the actual work that goes into that and how difficult that can be. But also, I think they're undervalued in in what they could be doing. I think that in most organizations, we're only seeing the very tip of what your data team could be doing for you, right, in terms of the depth of insights, right, the way that we could really be empowering marketing and sales and product decisions, right, if these groups worked much more closely and really understood, right, what is the choice that marketing has to make today? And and ultimately, that has to be done, right? That can't be done at the highest level, right? It just doesn't scale because the choices that are needing to be made that we want to back with data are down to like an individual salesperson, right? What product set should I recommend, right, to this specific customer based on what we know about them and what we know, right, about other customers, right? So we have to be empowering that. And I think some of the best insights right, that are coming out. And, you know, we'll probably talk about this later, but especially with generative AI, right, they're coming, right, from kind of the the layer of people working directly with data. It's not the people sitting in the C-suite. And so we need the applications and we need the ability, right, to empower those people.
1: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Like I work in my day job, I work in, you know, marketing today. And there's a lot of decisions that someone who's, you know, maybe running campaigns or running events, essentially at that level needs to make about, you know, where are they you know, fund essentially resources or additional campaigns. And if they don't have access to the data to make informed decisions, then they're basically, you know, using hunches or, you know, prior, you know, confirmation bias or what they heard from a sales rep. And then there there's, you know, bias in terms of, you know, whatever the last conversation they had from that lead source influences essentially their perception of how valuable it is. And that leads to a lot of, you
2: know, potentially incorrect decisions and, you know, waste of resources. Completely. And it's not like you as a marketing person don't know. Right. And you're just like, I'm just going to go off my gut today. Right. You you know, the data that you want. Right. You want to do it. It's also not like the data team doesn't want to give you that. The problem is that it's so hard and costly generally to go from that very specific, you know, hey, I need to know this today. Right. You know, to figuring out how to scale that. And that, I think, is, is the ultimate thing is how can we make this so easy, so fast, so cheap. Right. For these groups to collaborate together on data Right. That every single one of those questions that you have about what you should do in that campaign, what you should do with that customer, right, can be data driven. I remember like, when we first launched Streamlit as an open source project, I mean, you never really know sometimes when you launch it, like how it's going to get used. And, and we were so excited when we got contacted by somebody out of the community who happened to to run ML and data science for a rather large convenience store chain. And he was telling us all about how they started using our tool, Streamlit, to build out these tools so that marketing could go in and they could say, hey, I'm trying to push coffee, right, you know, or or whatever it was they were trying to do, right, and be able to generate email lists right, based on models that they were running that said, hey, if, if somebody bought this, right, they're likely to buy this. These people, these specific ones would like this type of coupon, these, you know, would probably like these types of coupons, right. And they just were never able to do that before. Because again, it was just so costly to have to build that up, or to work, you know, directly with, with every marketing person that they couldn't do it. But the ideas were already there, right? I think the ideas are there in most companies of how we want to run better and how we run run faster. It's just a question of if we can empower people to do that.
1: So you mentioned, you know, that when you you started Streamlit, you know, being surprised maybe by some of the uses of it. But what was the original problem that you were trying to address by, you know, creating that product in the company?
2: Yeah. So, you know, like you were saying earlier, you know, it really came from a need that we saw working at Google X, working in self-driving cars, working in other kind of places where we just kind of felt constantly hamstrung by the tools that we had. And, you know, a number of times we, would end up in a conversation. I remember a very distinct conversation having with some of our computer vision team when I was working on self-driving cars, where it was like, well, we're getting all of the, we have this new sensor type, right? We need, we're getting all of this data coming in and we need it all labeled, right? And we need a way to do this. And our option was basically to go with an internal tools team or go with a very expensive vendor, right? To build a tool, it was going to take months right? And, and we really needed that data tomorrow, right? To increase in the goals. We needed to get it to people, right? Who are offshore, who could label it. And so what ended up happening was that head of research ended up in going and learning Flask, right? Over a series of weekends and writing this tool. And the tool had so many bugs, right? But it was so much better, right? Than what we had otherwise. And it's it's kind of scary if you look inside any company, the number of kind of bespoken bug-ridden tools that that underpin, you know, a lot of kind of our critical processes. But we just saw that over and over again. Right, both this need and this desire of like, hey, I'm a smart person who knows how to code. Right, I should be able to do these things kind of for myself. Right, I, I want to take right my destiny back in my own hands. Right, and not have to wait, you know, on external teams or you know having to learn a completely new skill set. Right, you know, in terms of front end programming, and then also this this kind of related need, which is you know I want to work with my stakeholders better. Right, I ran a there's a couple points in my time in my career where I've run different data science teams and. I remember the first data science team I was running years ago, our our process would look like a bunch of executive stakeholders would give us a whole bunch of questions. We'd go and do a whole bunch of analysis. We'd prepare like a 40, you know, slide, slide deck, right, with all of these charts and answering all these questions. And I swear we would never get past like the second slide there were always just so many more questions, right? That the first time that they saw, right, that data, what, wait a second, why is this spiking here? Could we look at it across country? Could we look at it, you know, all of these different types of questions that were getting to these kind of underlying needs that they had as, as product and operations executives to understand where they could optimize, right? What different decisions they could make. But it was so broken, right? We'd have to take all of those questions and then go back, right, for another two weeks, right? Then we'd come back and it always felt like we were behind. And I know a lot of data teams, you know, feel like this. We feel like we're the bad guys, right? That the product and marketing and sales could be running so much faster if we just, you know, had a better way to do it. And, you know, people, I think that the most pernicious thing is people stop asking questions. They just learn that, you know, it's not going to get answered. It's going to be a P2, right? And they stop being curious and about how we can do our jobs better.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that when you introduce a lot of friction into the process or, you know, extended timelines, then essentially that creates a higher bar for, when you want to put forth the ask, because you're now know that like, okay, well, I'm like setting somebody off on like a two week yeah. <laughs> like bespoke request to get me the data. And I've been there as well a number of times, either, you know, when I was a founder in like a, a board meeting or, you know, meeting with investors or whatever it is, and people ask a question and then you don't have the answer readily available or you haven't pulled the data and you have to essentially go pull that data later and kind of come back. And it just leads to a lot of friction, but it also kind of makes you look bad as well because it's not, you don't have access to it and you hadn't thought to ask the question in the first place.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, and, and we end up self-censoring, right? And that means that the data team knows less about what we actually need, right? Because we we're like, ah, I don't know if this is big enough. I don't know if anything's going to come of this, right? And, you know, for, for years, I remember talking to data teams where I'd be like, push back, push back on your product partners and say, are you going to change your mind? right? If I get you, if this is, you know, one versus a hundred, right? If I get you this answer, because it's going to cost me 10 hours, right? To get to that. And that's, you know, that's valid advice. But at the same time, I think that it, again, it really stifles curiosity. And I think so many, I, I can go back to so many times where, you know, I changed my mind, right? About what we want to do, you know, in the product or where we wanted to focus the company because of some insight that we wouldn't have gotten to if somebody wasn't curious, right? About diving down and being like, huh? Why is this area much bigger than this area? And then one, one level down and then one level down, right? Ask those five whys. But you just can't do it if if everything takes 10 hours, right? You know, expensive engineer's time to do.
1: Yeah, I think the rigidity of whatever that you're using to sort of investigate becomes a barrier of essentially being curious because there's just, again, too much friction. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think historically we've struggled with is essentially the existing tools are okay when you know what questions to answer. So I spent, you know, sort of the better part of a decade in the earlier part of my career, like building data apps in particularly in sort of bioinformatics space. And there's tools like Tableau and Looker that are great for sort of investigating, you know, maybe a well-understood problem. But then there's many problems, especially in the world of bioinformatics, when I was there, or when I was a founder, that, you don't even necessarily know what question to ask. You just want to be able to investigate. So can you kind of maybe dive a little bit into how Streamlit can help somebody address something like that? How do they actually, how does it help with this, essentially someone being curious and diving into data so that they can figure out like, what questions should I be even asking?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we often say that like Streamlit really attacks the long tail, right? You know, the, the real insight on Streamlit was that we really needed a front end and an interactivity layer on top of Python, right, to enable this curiosity. And so, Streamlit in many ways, people say, "What can Streamlit do?" And I say, "Well, what can Python do?" <laughs> right? Because our our goal really is to just kind of ride on top of that and ride on top of the work that you're already doing, right? You know, in Python, right, and the questions right that your team is already asking. And so, what what Streamlit is in essence, and maybe maybe we should say that is that Streamlit is an open source library, right? That that gives you a number of, of different kind of out of the box primitives that makes it really easy to assemble a data app. Right, you can just you know drop in Markdown, write a chart type, write a slider, a widget. Right, you can put these all together, and honestly, you don't even really have to know Python. Right, to know Streamlit, Streamlit's incredibly basic, and I see apps all the time that are ninety five percent SQL. Right, they're doing all of the hard work there. Right, and then at the end, they're writing it to a data frame, and then you know, you're assembling kind of the app pieces around that. But what's really really important, and getting back to your question of you know how do we enable curiosity? right, you know, and then figuring out how we, we get to these better answers and, and make better decisions as a company, is that ultimately what Streamlit is doing is we're making it cheap and easy, right, to build a data application. And we're making it really, really easy for it to be bespoke, right, to whatever you want, right? You've got another question, just, you know, add another select box right there, you know, drop another chart, right? It's easy to kind of flow along with you, right, kind of in that thought process, right? One of our initial kind of vision statements was. You know, can we be generating kind of visualizations interactions like at the speed of thought, right? As you're kind of like asking a question, right? And you're able to type up the code, right? Can we be generating it, right? And, and putting kind of an interactive UI on top of that. And so what that means is that it's no longer you in marketing ask me as a data science a question and I've got to, you know, take two weeks, right? Or go out to a separate tools team to do it. As, as long as I have, you know, the data basically there, right? I can go ahead and start surfacing that to you. And then it becomes a really interactive process right? Where we can refine that together. I've been working in data for years, right? And rarely do I get the question right, right? When I go to the team and I know things about our data that our team doesn't even know, right? Because I set up, you know, some of the initial things, but, but still often they send me something and I'm like, oh, wait a second. Actually, can we filter it this way, right? Can we look at it that way? Like I'd, I'd love to see this on a bar chart. Can we see this on a scatter plot, right? Really kind of trying to dive in and kind of be one with the data, and that's really, really important to me, right, as a product executive, to really understand what's going on in the product and obviously for you in marketing to understand the product and the customers, right, and sales. And I've been in meetings, where, and I've seen this with not just our own team, but I've sat in on kind of customer meetings where you'll see a customer ask a question, and the data team literally in the background is able to go and change. You know, they're like, oh, this is great, but I would love to, you know, could we, could we see this more stacked as a bar chart or, you know, what if, what if we segmented it by, you know, this type of thing. And literally by the end of the meeting, right, they're able to show that. And that speed thing just, it enables something different in the relationship that you can have with customers and stakeholders, because normally it would be, well, let's get back to you in two weeks. In the meantime, you've gone ahead and made different decisions, right, you know, on on what you're going to do. Instead, we're having that conversation in the meeting, right, and saying, oh, wait a second, now that I see it this way, I have a different question, right, or I have a different decision, right, that I'd be able to make. And that's what we really see Streamline as empowering is these really fast iterative loops between data teams, you know, among themselves sometimes, but then also with customers and with stakeholders. And what that does, giving them especially that interactivity later, is it's starting to unlock more of the data that's in the heads, right, of all of your operators in the company, right? And that's that's some of the most important data that you have as a company. It's not in your data lake, right? It is in the heads, right, of people who know, who just talk to a customer. Right And heard about you know some new competitor that's coming up that saw somebody you know do a demo of something and they understand that they're using the product in a different way, who have some knowledge based on a lot of things that they're seeing about where the economy is going right or where supply chains are going, right and being able to kind of partner with the data team to kind of join those intuitions together, I think just makes for much faster loops and much better decision making in a company
1: It makes a ton of sense like I think that essentially by having sort of this near real time interactivity, you can make data exploration like a brainstorming exercise yeah. and something that where it's like, you know, ask a question, come back, like, so you can kind of like stay in it. You can be embodying the data with multiple people sort of contributing, asking questions. And that overall like helps the investigative process because, you know, someone from one department maybe sees something a certain way or has some insight that's maybe not even part of the data that leads to, you know, a new type of question or a new type of thing to investigate. And you just get this, you know, cascading effect where you're gonna drive way more insights from the data in a shorter period of time,
2: I love Streamlit, obviously, but you know we're just kind of a small API library, and 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 it really is the data teams I think who, who are the heroes here. They're the ones who are changing, right? How companies are doing it. We're just helping provide a tool that makes it a lot easier, right, to work with their stakeholders. Like I was talking with a, a CIO of a large financial group a while back, and and he was telling me how their IT team took the time to build out all of their pipelines, kind of with Snowflake, and then to add Streamlit on top. So that now they kind of auto-generate apps and have a lot of different app types, right, for for types of questions that they know get asked of them. And so now they have, you know, kind of after multiple months of doing this, a process where their partners come, ask them a question, and within a day, they've got something that they say is about 80% correct, right? And then they work directly with that person to say, oh, can I change this? Can we do that, right? And within days, they have something, right, that now, great, that team is off to the races and they're running. And it's completely changed how the IT group works right with their stakeholders but also how the IT team is seen right i mean i think that if i even just say IT team to people who are not you know on IT your mind is usually kind of like well you know slow tells me i can't do things right says i have to go through a procurement process right it's not often a positive one right and i think it's amazing that just by switching and giving people things faster and giving them more and easier access to ask their own questions right it completely shifts right how we work with this group Mm-hmm. I think it also
1: empowers the different groups to be sort of more, I guess, like the decision making is more of a strategic decision making process yeah. than necessarily like a pattern recognition decision making process Absolutely. or something like that. Yeah. So you mentioned that when you were describing Streamlit that it's essentially this you know Python library. And even though you, you might be able to build a Streamlit app, not necessarily knowing a ton about Python, but what was sort of the choice behind making it essentially a library built on top of Python versus something like... I don't know, like a no code tool or like drag and drop or something like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it was never a choice in the sense it was just like it had to be. And I think, you know, partly because it was coming, especially from Tiago and Adrian, who are some of the most amazing engineers I've ever worked with. They're like, this is how I work right? And they're data people that are working in Python, right? Python is the language of machine learning. It's, it's becoming, you know, more and more the language of data. And that's how, you know, we prefer to work, right? And in terms of development. So, you know, there's actually exciting things that I think we're doing, especially at Snowflake now, that do take kind of the core of Streamlit and extend it, right, to something that's more no code, low code, and allows people who are not directly in the code to do it. But ultimately, I just think it's so important that you have something, right? At the Python layer, not only kind of to work with developers, but to get that level of configurability, right? That you want, right? Because it doesn't matter, you know, the, the best tools in the world, the ones that you spend millions of dollars a year on as a company, right? You still probably have a number of things where you're like, ah, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. And the only way that you can do that is by, you know, putting pressure on your sales team to put pressure on the product team, right? To build you another feature. And so having that ability to kind of program it in yourself, right, is so important. And we can always add abstraction layers on it, but Streamlit will always be Python. It always has been. And I think that the big choice was making it open source. And it wasn't always obvious to us at first necessarily that it would be or that we'd build a wrap around it, but it became increasingly obvious, right? If if we want to be running with the best of ML, if we really want to truly empower, right, data developers, it had to be open source. And plus all of our engineers told us that it had to be open source. And that's always best when you listen to your engineers. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, that choice of going open source... I mean, how, you know, usually that leads to sort of a community-led, you know, go-to-market. Like, how did that sort of impact you know, Streamlit's growth and also maybe the decisions that you're making from our product sense?
2: Yeah, I mean, it completely changed the trajectory, right, of the company. So we were about a year in to building Streamlit when we, you know, opened it up and said, hey, there's this new open source library. And And really, it felt like overnight, right? The community jumped on this and they were like, yes, right, this is what I've been waiting for. And, you know, I think... The success of any kind of developer product, but especially an open source one, really comes back to the community, right? Because when you're developing, doesn't matter how well designed the product is. Basically, within you know 20 minutes of kind of, you end up opening a Google tab and you're like, "What's up with that? How do I do this thing? What's up with this error message?" Right. And so much of developing good code and good applications is about being inspired, is about being kind of supported by that one person who's also seen that type of thing, right? And can get you unstuck or can give you a better way, right? A faster way to do something. And so I think that the real power of Streamlit, you know, there's the library, but it really is in the community. And the fact that like you can go, you know, to the Streamlit website and you can search and see thousands of public applications that people have shared back with the community and they share back the code, right? And they write components. And they share them openly all to kind of empower more developers to do more. And that's what really ultimately, you know, accelerates everybody, right, by making it faster, right? Because it's not just about you had a good idea, right, and we wrote a nice library for you. It's that you can go and you can start off prior work, right? You can copy in great bits of code that other people have written or find that perfectly tuned component that's going to work specifically for your biomedical 3D molecule reviewing need.
1: And then how is, you know, since essentially being acquired by Snowflake, how is this sort of this, I don't know, marriage between like open source and then what historically had not necessarily been an open source focused company like come together? I feel like Snowflake has leaned a lot more into community and builders most recently in the last few years, which is like, I think fantastic, but, you know, historically it wasn't necessarily there. So I'm kind of curious about how Streamlit has maybe played a role in that transformation or what was that
2: experience like? Yeah. I mean, so Snowflake really has made a big shift over the past couple of years, right? And we're still in the midst of it, but really wanting to be a developer-focused company, right? And so I think we've always focused, especially on like SQL analysts and and data engineers and making life great for them, really extending into broader types of developers, ML, data scientists, people who are more in the code and saying, what does it mean to be great for you, right, on a platform layer, but all the other tools that we need to enable. And a part of that is being, you know, really well connected in the ecosystem and making sure that people can bring, right, their their favorite tools in development. And so we were lucky when Snowflake approached us a year and a half ago, right, and they were like, well, we see this kind of amazing synergy, right, that Streamlit could have with Snowflake. And so oftentimes when I talk about Streamlit, I talk really about the pain, right, of building a data application, right, and and why it's frustrating and why you might have to learn JavaScript or use a tools team, For most data scientists, and I I sit right next to our data team, right, you know, their frustration really is in the data side, right? It is in the fact of how long it takes to run a query or the fact that we're missing telemetry, right, doing that. And so there is this kind of amazing partnership that we have now, right, to build on top of, right, this amazing, you know, data cloud platform to make data developers and everybody's life a lot better. And you know, and as part of that, Snowflake really is embracing open source, right? So they've thrown a huge amount of resources, you know, towards the Streamlit team, empowering us to do more than we ever would have been able to do, right? As kind of a standalone startup, and we're, we're making investments in more and more things. Every week, it feels like I'm in a conversation where somebody's like, "Can I open source this? Let's open source that." Like, and you know, including Benoit, right? He's wanting to open source things left and right. So I think it's it's really exciting times ahead. Both for Snowflake and Streamlit, but I think also for the open source community, where we're going to be able to participate a lot more broadly.
1: So I think clearly, there's obviously a lot going on in the world of AI and generative AI, and you know, Snowflake's making huge, I think, like strategic moves in that space as well. Which they, you know, did a lot of announcements at Snowflake Summit, and there's been a continuous number of announcements that they've made. And you know, as we've been talking, you talked a lot about like empowering people, the speed of like access to the data. And a lot of these things, essentially, you can even continue to reduce friction, continue to reduce the barrier to entry by leveraging some of these generative AI technologies. So maybe before we talk about like sort of the Streamlit's role in the world of gen AI, how do you see generative AI actually changing or impacting the work
2: that like data teams do? I think there's no end, honestly, to the number of changes that we're going to see. I mean, we, we really are, you know, riding a, a giant new wave. I think that's going to change everything, honestly, and and I think for the better, right, over the kind of coming years. And, you know, I work with a lot of people who go way back, right, in kind of computing technology, and they're like, we've never seen anything like this before. And it's really exciting. And I think, you know, the first and most obvious one is how I think it's going to speed up just data development, right? That The history of a lot of technological changes is that it takes away a lot of kind of the rote work Right. The boring things that we don't like to do right now in terms of you know what we need to do to clean the data, monitor our pipelines, right? Things like that. So just being a lot smarter than that. And I think, you know, to me personally, one of the most exciting things is how well ChatGPT and a lot of these other kind of LLMs write code, right? And which means that again, you can start kind of from prior art. So, you know, one of the most exciting things just personally on Streamlit was just finding out how well, right, you can go to Chat and say, can you write me a Streamlit app, right, that uses these libraries and does these things? And it writes perfect Streamlit code, which means that now, again, you're not starting from I need to write 50 lines of code to get to a start of something, right? You can start from something that already works and you can be more of an editor, right? You know, someone who can operate kind of at a higher level, right, and then doing kind of the basic things that you want to do. But in general, I mean, it's going to make so many hard things cheaper, right? Just, you know, so much of, I think, just general work that we do, not even just data teams but companies, it's just retrieval work. I need to find that document, right, that mentions this team. I need to find this, you know, table or things like that. And one of the things that all alums are just fantastic at is kind of, you know, parsing information, getting us to that point, right, that we have. And then there's so much more, I think, promise out there, right, you know, especially for iterative work. Chat, for example, is just the perfect way to kind of do a lot of this iterative work right and i often think about you know what we're building with llms and how we use llms is just kind of you know it's like my it can be my data buddy kind of in a sense right it's it's somebody that it's helping me refine right and i'm asking questions and being able to do things and ask more questions faster right and it's not always necessarily getting the right answer just you know as my data team doesn't always get the right answer either right but those are things that i think are just getting better faster and then from there There's just so many more new things that we can do, right? So you probably know from marketing, and and I worked in marketing a long time ago, but, you know, so much of what's costly is just like, okay, we got to put out a blog post, and then what's the tweet for that? What's the image that you attach to that? What's the clip of the video, right? These are all things that you can just, you know, have an LLM generate for you now right? Read the text, pick out, you know, an obvious image, right? And you can select from three, right? It can summarize it. You can take a tweet and you could say, hey, look at my top users. Do you think this will resonate with them based on past tweets, right? You know, and and what has been thumbs up and things like that. So I'm really excited for what this is going to empower.
1: Yeah, I like your sort of framing around how it's sort of transforming some of the work that we might do into being like an editing process and necessarily like a generation process. So even in the world of content, it helps solve sort of the zero page problem. And a lot of times it's easier to edit something into what you need than to essentially start from scratch, especially if you're not feeling particularly creative. And then I think the chat becomes your brainstorming buddy and It can actually, I think, unlock or help you unlock like a new way of thinking. Because I find, you know, if you're working in the same space for a long time, your sort of views or the way that you frame things or write things sort of start to become more and more rigid. And if you can leverage something like an LLM, it might actually be able to steer you in a way that you wouldn't have normally done because your sort of way of thinking or your point of view has become a little bit hardened, which I think is really exciting as well. In terms of Streamlit specifically, like what are some of the things that you know, streamless focused on to help people essentially working on Gen AI workloads and applications?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I would say it's, it's kind of three layers, right, that we're thinking about kind of strategically. And the first is, you know, certain things that we want to do specifically in the library that are going to help enable the types of applications that we see coming up, right? So we released a number of primitives already this year, right, in terms of chat and status and things like that that we see evolving with, you know, how people want to interact with LLMs. And there's a lot more that we're planning to do there, right, to make really kind of interactive chat interfaces, the way that you can weave in charts and data and be making decisions within a chat, right, that that lead and, you know, help refine and go to something else. But also kind of beyond that, right, some of the stuff that, Especially, you know, one of the trends that we see even outside of generative AI is just how much people are doing more with images and media and videos, right, kind of in their work, right? So making sure all of that's, you know, woven in in very even basic ways, like good image pickers, right, and things like that. So, again, the goal is that, you know, for whatever application that you're dreaming up in your head or that you ask the LLM to dream up for you, right, we have those kind of basic out-of-the-box primitives that are going to be easy for you to assemble and put at least a first version of your dream out there.
1: Yeah, one of the first applications I built with Streamlit was building actually like a privacy-safe LM-based chatbot. So I used the new chat components, and it was super easy. It was just kudos to the team that that's, you well, know, built us some of that stuff.
2: I will I will convey that to the team. But that's always great feedback, and I think feedback is so important in this too. I mean, we're constantly asking some of our power users, but also looking on the forum and saying, "What do you need?" Right. What's the newest and latest thing that you're doing? And that's it's so important for us to be kind of at the forefront of what the community is doing, but also the broader Python and generative AI ecosystem. So we're partnering deeply with a lot of the libraries that are emerging kind of around right generative AI, Langchain, Llama Index, Assembly AI, making sure that all of these things just work really well out of the box right, together for kind of whatever choice that you're making. So we're going to continue to invest in that as well as with other partners that are kind of adopting Streamlit into the workflows to make various AI products easier, right? Clarify, Data Button, Hugging Face are all amazing companies, right, that are using Streamlit in various ways to kind of empower tools and interfaces for what they're doing. And then the last bit, I mean, it's really about the community right? So, I mean, again, we invest in these primitives. We make these kind of partnerships and integrations easy, but it's really about the beautiful and amazing things that our community members build. I mean, first off, that's inspiration always for things that we get better. We always say that, you know, the first step is, can we make something possible? And then, you know, then we see, can we take 50 lines of code and make it one, right? And constantly just making it better and more accessible and easier for people to build. But, you know, you can go on our website today and just see the amazing amount Right, of LLM powered apps and components that people have made and shared back with the community, and I think that's what really kind of increases the pace of innovation is is seeing and being inspired by something else that somebody else has done, and then not having to recreate yourself, but immediately grabbing the code and going and adapting it to your use case.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And you know, one of the things I was thinking about as well. So this week, Dreamforce is going on in San Francisco, and you know, there's a huge, of course, focus on AI. But one of the things they talked about at Dreamforce was that the AI revolution is really like a data revolution. Essentially, you don't have Gen AI without the data. But additionally, we wouldn't have all the buzz around AI right now without the application front end. You know, it's one thing to have a foundation model or something like that. But if it was only an API entry point and there was no UI to it. You know, my dad would not be know about it. Like it was ChatGPT that brought generative AI essentially to my parents and to a whole other generation of people who aren't deep in the world of data and, and engineering. So a few months ago, I was at a Versal and OpenAI meetup in San Francisco, and one of the things they talked about there was, or like essentially Versal sort of trying to position themselves as the front end for AI applications. But one of the things, as we've been talking, that I think is interesting is that in many ways like streamlit is the front end application for you know certain types of ai applications essentially the ones where you're empowering these data users or the people who need the data within the application and it actually creates i think if you can essentially build these applications using gen ai without having to actually write python code then you're also creating a whole new like builder community that has
2: access to building essentially ai powered data applications yeah. And I think, you know, I think Versal is great. There's a lot of great companies, right, that are doing things. And this is a large and growing space. I think what's always kind of been true for Streamlit is, you know, we're just laser focused on data teams, right? You know, and really kind of specifically what they need. So I think there's a lot of people that it would be great to help them make their own kind of applications and things like that. But what gets us out of bed in the morning is, you know, really thinking about that, Data scientist who's you know working in SQL and Python today, or that ML ops engineer who's you know optimizing their model serving, and how we can make their lives better, and how we can bring LLM and generative AI right to them. And so we do you know aim to be the best library for those types of people. Right when they want to bring LLM and generative AI right into the data applications they're building, you know we definitely hope that they turn to Streamlit, and we're continuing to invest to make that a great experience for them.
1: I guess like looking ahead, what are some of the trends that you see in the data application space? That, you know maybe even beyond gen ai that you know streamlit is trying to sort of stay in front of and adapt to
2: yeah so i mean generative ai is obviously the really big one right now and that just continues on a trend of ml right going deeper and deeper right into different functions and i think that the bigger trend in a lot of data and a lot of companies is about ml powering marketing right ml powering sales right and how we move from a world of graph the past I know exactly what question I want to answer to kind of predict the future, right, and get curious and kind of dive deeper. And, you know, I don't think we really had good methods, you know, a decade ago, right, in order to say, hey, here's all of the data and here's how you could access it, right, Sean, and that we feel comfortable maybe giving you access or empowering in that way. And so that, I think, has been a big trend just in the underlying data, right, in terms of making that more accessible, right, that has obviously been a big trend. And then data applications right on top of that, right, because we're able to do that. Obviously, unstructured data is a huge thing and it continues to be a huge thing, right? Media, video, audio, all of these types of things, sensor data, you know, that's coming in. There are new ways that we need to visualize that, new ways that we need to understand that, right? That's different from how you need to just understand financial data or time series data, things like that. So really figuring out, right, and making sure that we're adapting well for that unstructured work, right? It's very different when you're doing, you know, something on a time series, There's ways that you're looking at that data, right? And you're correlating it and you're graphing it. That's very different than when you're trying to understand a whole bunch of different media files, right? And you need to potentially draw bounding boxes on them, right? And other things like there's so much really, really interesting stuff that's especially coming out of biotech right now, right? And the ways that they need to visualize and understand, you know, molecules and RNA, right? And things like that, right? And that type of data, right? And how we kind of help them do that work. And then this doesn't, you know, maybe sound like, Quite as, as sexy as you know, all of those other things, the media files and then the 3D molecules, but really just more workflow automation and self-serve, right? And really making it a lot easier for more people across the company to participate, right, in that data work. I think everybody needs to and is becoming kind of more data-informed, understanding how data works and how data impacts, you know, their area. So extending, right, kind of tooling to that, but then that brings new requirements, And that's, to me, is sometimes the most exciting stuff is like when I get to go and talk to a sales engineer at a chemical manufacturing company, right? And understanding kind of what they're doing and how they're evolving and then the new types of things that they're doing to ship faster to their partners and and have better visibility, you know, for people internally into the ecosystem. So those are other types of things that we're focusing on as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned biotech.
1: There's this whole world now, I think, around Using generative AI for drug discovery as well. And and a lot of that is, you know, how do you shortcut this process that takes like five to 10 years basically to discover a new drug? If you can cut that down by even, you know, 10%, that is massive in terms of the potential like good impact it could have on people that are maybe suffering from a particular disease, but also massive in terms of reduction of cost to the companies that are actually doing all this stuff.
2: Yeah, I am fascinated by what we're doing there. And I am incredibly excited as someone who really does not understand chemistry, but understands that I'm going to need drugs and people in my family, right, are going to need them and and medical advances right over the coming decades that, yeah, it really does feel like we're off to the races with a lot of things that have been developed now. And even in the past few years, like some of the innovations that came out of COVID-19, right, and really kind of spurred changes there. And then what we can do with generative AI, what we can do. I mean, we have so much healthcare data. Right. We do. It's just that I think is is in some ways, you know, for good reasons, one of the bigger remaining frontiers, right, of how we join that and understand that. Right. But there's a lot of data, right, that's already out there that even beyond drug discovery, I think, is going to fuel new insights and innovation to understanding very specifically tailored to you, Sean. Right. You know, you have that data, right, probably in your Fitbit and things like that that could help your doctor. But how do we figure out in a good, safe and, and governed and secured way, right, to do that and give access to people who have insights? I mean, that's that's a really interesting problem to solve.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're really only scratching the surface with a lot of this stuff, even as powerful as a lot of these tools are, we're really in like the toddler phase of gen AI, like wait until, I I think Mark Benioff said that this week, like wait until these things are teenagers, you know, it's gonna be a whole other world. It's like the 56k baud modem days of the internet versus essentially fiber optic to the world of, you know, Netflix streaming and so forth that we live in today. It's a massive, massive change.
2: My husband and I often play this game of like, what are the things that we think are absolutely true today that our kids are going to just like mock us for, right? You know, 30 years from now, they'll be like, I can't believe you thought that was true or that was a good idea, right? But it is kind of, I mean, I'm an an optimist at heart. I can, I can find a silver lining in anything, but I am incredibly optimistic about, you know, the way that the data and gen AI and just kind of empowering more people to do more with all of this is going to help us solve and, and just understand so much more, right? In science and technology.
1: Amazing. And I think that's a good place to leave it on a positive note. Amanda, I want to thank you so much for being here. Thank it was you. really, really enjoyable. And best of luck with everything that you're doing over at Snowflake and with Streamlit. I'm looking thank forward so to much. seeing the continued announcements.
2: Yes. Thank you for having me. Please go try Streamlit. You will find out it's not great for everything, but it's great for a certain set of thing. And you will find out pretty quickly if you like it or not. And if you do or if you don't, please give us feedback. Come to our forum. We love to hear it. Please help drive the community forward. Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Cheers.